You know, it's crazy. A lot of us don't know that the old school band, the Gap band, you know, the one that Charlie Wilson was a part of before he came, made his comeback, stood for Greenwood, Archer, and Pine Street Band. You know, the same place where Black Wall Street was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hmm. Interesting, right? Hey, 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 y'all. Welcome again to the Simply King podcast. Here we are again for another great, great topic. And this one is really, really important, um, really for so many different reasons. I feel like it's vital, um, mostly because, you know, coming up, you know, into the holiday season, people thinking about their money, thinking about, about saving or what they about to spend, about to buy their mama, their girl, they, you know, their boy, whatever, their kids, what have you. So I feel like it's, you know, definitely need to talk about, you know, economics and not only just economics but group economics so i know you know the white friday thing i hope uh, it definitely caught everyone's eye to definitely tune in um definitely hope you enjoyed the visual that i tried to paint but today i definitely wanted to bring in someone to uh back me up and give some great great knowledge when it came to just the financial world and just any type of knowledge they can bestow on the listeners and and myself when it came to just the world of finance, because we all need to increase our own financial literacy. So I have Atlanta's insurance lady um, came by a great friend of mine, Jawanza Harris, Aisha Danzi. And she uh, she's coming to bestow her, her knowledge and just contribute um, some great talking points to us uh, today. And um, she's actually the president of the Five Star Insurance Agency in Atlanta. So go check out. She does, you know, some financial literacy workshops. So definitely look her up because we all need this. We all need this. Thank you for joining me, Aisha. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And just to um, kind of jump right into it, uh, the talking points for today are very, very, uh, I would say broad, but I'm going to make sure I keep them very, very narrow in a sense to where the information is, you know, still received and retained in the best way. So um, just to break it, just to break it down, we're going to talk about a few historical accounts of the effectiveness of group economics, you know, things, you know, you know, I'm a history buff. So I, I love talking about what's, what, what has happened and how we can apply that to what, you know, can happen now. And then we have the unknown value of our money. Cause we don't even know what's in our pockets. We just got wallets. We got just wallets filled with stuff. And we buying J's, you know, we, we lining up, you know, we buying it, all these different things that we don't even know that doesn't even have any value, but we feel the need to have it. So we need to know exactly what we can do with the currency that we have in our pockets and the, and the money that we work so hard to have. Um, and then uh, finally, creating solutions with little money, or better yet, just collaboration. And um, that's that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. And um, just to dive right in. Just to dive right in. Now, um, before before the, I actually, you know, started started this specific podcast to record it, um, me me and Miss Danzy, we just you know discussing a few things when it came to historically what we knew about, you know, um, like different things in history when it came to just black towns, black established towns that made a very very great mark in history, and uh, I feel like a lot of people, especially you know, you went to HBCUs and 
have just, you know, came across anything, had any type of business class or just heard about, you know, the Black Wall Street, people always want to know, you know, exactly what their story is. And um, and I used to do you have you you told me you heard you heard of it, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And tell me and tell me exactly, I guess, the story that you heard about when it came to the Greenwood massacre. Well, you know, um, so in the early 1900s, right around 1920s, it, uh, the Black Wall Street existed in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was it, one of the most successful African-American uh, communities in history. And there we had a group of Blacks who spent their own dollars investing and reinvesting and building and strengthening their community. Uh, it consisted of over 600 successful businesses, um, I believe it included a hospital, a bank, post office, um, bus system, and even their own school system. And um, they were a really thriving and flourishing um, community. And unfortunately, uh, it was destroyed by the KKK, uh, where 600 of the businesses were destroyed and over 3,000 uh, Americans were killed. Um Back in again, 1920, 1921. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I find I find it interesting that you know, in today's in today's age, you still kind of see this you know level of violence done in a either a covert uh, or either a covert way or a very you know out out there in your face with all the different you know senseless killings that are going on. But that's that's all for another topic. But it's still sad and kind of hard not to mention when you talk about, you know, deaths of Americans, because I feel like people always try to separate the two. But the interesting thing, and the one thing I wanted to look up um, after, you know, because you do know, you know, people do know these stories and people or people may have heard about these stories and seen certain, you know, films such as Rosewood within Florida. Uh, I believe that, you know, when there's something that is happening, especially within history, it's a large chance that it's happened more than once. That, you know, certain occurrence being the establishment of a black town, um, all black town. And I, I just, I, you know, I just went to your good old friendly Google and um, and I found a few things and I found um, at least 15 different established towns that uh, actually grew to some prominence for various reasons. Um, Fort Moss, Florida. I can go down the list. This is a lot. Uh, Rosewood. Seneca Village, and it's actually a really interesting story about Seneca Village. Seneca Village was actually a very, very, it was probably one of the first established uh, black towns um, established in the early 1800s. And um, basically they were located um, within New York from between 82nd and 89th Street. And um, basically the, uh, the reason why this, I guess this, great place uh, doesn't exist anymore is because now it's where Central Park is now currently located. So it basically kind of drove all these people out, all these different, you know, escaped slaves and, and different individuals who settled here and created this very, very well-known uh, national landmark in a sense, being Central Park in the midst of a great city as New York. And um, it's interesting that, you know, that had to happen because that could have been a great, great, uh, you know, institutional place that can you know, really grown and been a great place for just, you know, all people, not even just black Americans. Um, then we have the five points within New York, which was actually a first a free black settlement 
within eighteen with eight within eighteen thirties to the eighteen sixties. And um it was, you know, I guess on this one, it was a black settlement, but I think it was seen more as a um a district for fun and, you know, it was a lot of clubs and nighttime, you know, you know, nightlife type places. And um now it's actually, you know, where Wall Street occupies. So it's interesting how, you know, these really historically black towns have now been changed to you know, things that we all know just being, you know, dealing with, you know, very important or very well-known establishments. And I can go on and on and on, but the, I feel like the one thing about all these things were there were, you know, a sense of, you know, community. And I feel like that's a real strong thing that I feel like we, we lack, but I can see people trying to get back to it. Do you, do you think the same thing, Aisha? Yeah, I do. I, I think there is a movement. Um, I think, you know, definitely um, social media helps with that. But there's a movement now where um, this generation, um, the millenniums, and we want to see that um, community come back together where, you know, Blacks are thriving and flourishing and, and you know, doing our own thing. So I do see that um, there was efforts made for that. Most definitely. Most definitely. And I feel like it's interesting, you know, because I feel like a lot of us just really don't know the impact that we can actually have on our communities. And I feel like with these stories, and I would love, you know, anyone listening to go and just look that up. And um, I can, you know, feature links to make sure everybody can get those um, and see those things and look into those different black towns. And a majority of them, you know, majority of them aren't around anymore for so many different reasons, either being, you know, massacres from, you know, hate, hate groups who just didn't like that this was going on or uh, a situation within the economy. A lot of these, um, a lot of these great towns were, you know, affected by the great depression, just like the rest of the world was. So a lot of them, a lot of their industries that they created that were, you know, really built the town up. It may have been a lumber mill town, a black lumber mill town. It might've been a, a, a coal mining town within Iowa uh, was another situation. And when the industry goes down and messes, you know, kind of that's the heart of it and the backbone of everything. It kind of makes the whole town go to, you know, go to, go to waste. And it's sad. And I feel like the one thing that may have that those groups and those individuals may have been missing was, uh, I guess a sustainability plan. I feel like, you know, everyone was just great to have their own opportunities and people just, you know, were thriving, using their resources, bartering, doing whatever they had to do. But I think, uh, uh, I think the ideal of sustainability was the, wasn't, you know, a really a thing that actually occurred. And, um, I feel like their own, that's when that ideal of sustainability and actually being able to know how to last and stretch our resources for years and years to come, um, actually started to happen. But do you know, um, what do you think about, um, I guess, the, tell me your opinion on when it comes to, I guess, the, the black middle class and the power they have to affect the community? Well, um, we know the middle class um, makes up uh, the majority. I mean, whether we're talking about um, any, any race, I should exactly. say, uh, the middle class makes up the majority. So the black middle class, uh, still makes up the majority. I mean, um, of, of course, we want to see them or the middle class put more of an emphasis of just that whole, um, you know, going back into uh, areas that are um, 
still suffering, where you see poverty, and kind of contributing to see those areas rebound. So I do think um, we have a responsibility to make sure that, you know, if we've gotten to a certain place that we are actually going back into our communities to seek growth. We see other uh, cultures, other uh, groups of people doing that. Um, when you look at, you know, the Jewish community, the Asian community, then even white communities, um, you know, they're, they go back or they, they grow with from within. And um, we know that in our black community, a lot of times when we get out of the hood, we don't go back to the hood. And that's mm-hmm. a part of the problem, you know. And why do you why do you think we do that? Well, I think you know we've come to a, a, a an age or a time where you know people are more um, I want to say selfish, but we are just more self indulged. You know, we're about what we can accomplish in our life, and um, you know, and, and and we also are in a generation where we want things instantly. So when it takes time to see growth in a community that we don't want to invest the time. We want to see overnight change. So I think it's, um, you know, probably two parts to where we, the the concern is not often not there, you know, or not there long enough to actually um, plant a seed and watch it grow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's interesting. That's really, really interesting. And I agree. Uh, I feel like it's, it's a duality and maybe a few different reasons why it actually occurs. And, um, and I feel like it's interesting that, you know, these, you know, the, the black middle class and just the middle class have, you know, are having to be this really, really growing power within politics. Now they're forever, you know, the topic of discussion when it comes to, um, actually, because they feel like the middle class is slightly, you know, becoming erased in a sense because of, you know, you know, this whole sense of classism and the poor just need to be poor and the rich just need to be rich. But um, I also, within the midst of just my research, I kind of uh, felt the need to look up, you know, a few. I was like, I wonder if there how many, you know, prominent black uh, communities are there. And um, we're just within um, within America. And uh, I got a few. I got a few. I got uh, about 10. 10 of the richest black communities within America. And I, the interesting find that I found with these, with this, with this, uh, with this search and research was that about five out of the 10 are all in Maryland. And I, I don't, I'm not sure why that is, but it's so interesting to me. And, um, and I think about, you know, all these things are in Maryland, but you hear about, you know, these things that are going on in Baltimore and, and situations, you know, in Baltimore and D.C. and just all these surrounding areas of the DMV, I feel like it's very, very interesting that you have, you know, most of the, you know, the top influential uh, black neighborhoods where, you know, m- m- most of the neighborhood is black and most of the neighborhood is affluent, um, that these certain situations are going on. People, you know, there's a high unemployment. There's a lot of different things that are happening, a lot of violence. I feel that there's this I don't know, this disconnect, this gap that I feel like I wish that it wasn't. And I see there definitely is an opportunity for that to change with these different individuals. If they can just reach back, set back. And it doesn't matter if you're, cause I feel like a lot of people kind of like go at the middle class as if they, you know, well, you know, these are your people and the, the, you know, this, that, and the third, but a lot, in a lot of cases, a lot of people don't come from that. And I feel like a lot of people try to victimize middle class, but a lot of people, they were, they, they, they've always had, you know, a very great, you know, foundation 
um, when it came to just uh, I guess financial a financial situation. They inherited a great you know great home and a great neighborhood. It stayed within the family. They inherited a business. So once it gets gets to you know this point of now, you just you always kind of like been situated in a very very comfortable place. And I feel like they victimized those individuals who just just so happened to had a very very fortunate uh, beginning. And what do you think about the you know those individuals who really may not have a connection? I feel like that may be a reason for the gap too, because I feel like there's a lot of now the generations and generations have passed, and there's a lot of black-owned businesses and things like that that have been established you know for decades, and those are the individuals who make up the upper middle or middle class. What do you, do you think that has something to do with that gap though? That they aren't from those um, low-income neighborhoods. Well, I do think it's a uh, contributing factor um, that, um, you know, many of the uh, middle class or upper middle class black perhaps did not come from some of those areas. But then again, you have some who who, who have and they just have not um, or, or don't, um, you know, truly go back and reinvest their time and efforts into their old, their old communities. I think... Um, you know, um, I was actually just doing a study and reading, um, you know, a, a report, a recent report that shows that um, only 7% of small businesses are actually black owned. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for us to be, for 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 only 7% to actually represent black owned businesses of all businesses within the United States, that's a very small number. Very. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just, um, you know, just the lack of um, not taking that time to go back and and um, wanting to see things happen overnight. Just thinking the problem is bigger than than you are. I, I think that's what the situation has become. I think middle class, you know, whatever class, you, you have your own issues, and you start wondering if that if the issues that we're seeing now in the black community, which they've changed. I mean, some of them are still. The same issues that existed, you know, 60, 70 years ago, um, you know, but you kind of wonder has, you know, what impact can you truly make? And as we're all in this line that become number one, you know, uh, we don't often take the time to do what we can do if we actually unify and, um, you know, start reinvesting into our communities. That's really what we're talking about. It's really just investing and reinvesting back into black communities. Mm. Reinvesting. I'm glad you, I'm glad you said that. And um, to move on to the next, uh, really, I feel like we were already deep in it, but I feel like, you know, the unknown value of our money. Um, I find it interesting. Um, my girlfriend, she's actually um, within, um, within banking now. And she, you know, she's, I remember just on she on first few you know weeks there she was just telling me about you know individuals like grown like grown individuals who were in their middle ages who you know were opening up their first you know bank account the first savings account uh, you know had you know had a few different questions about you know a lot of different things I feel like honestly I believe that um, we should learn these things in school because I feel like you know you don't hear about you know, how to do your taxes. But that's something you got to know, you know, once you get a job, um, once you get out into the world and get into school. Um, 
you don't know, you don't understand, you know, anything about insurance and the, the importance of insurance. You don't understand about, you don't understand anything about a living will. You don't understand anything about, you know, a lot of things that should be taken care of. It's, you know, a lot of people get to know those things once they, a lot of people get to know those things, either once they get out of college or once they just have to deal with it because, you know, can't fit all your money under, you know, under your mattress. So you got to put it somewhere. You got to, you know, do what you got to do. You got to figure out, you know, a saving situation. You want to create a trust fund or whatever, but you don't know what that is and how to even start that. And um, tell me, what do you think and how, what do you think about, because I know you probably have a lot to say about this, but uh, how important is financial literacy just within anyone, not, not even specific to the black community, how important is financial literacy? I mean, financial literacy is just, I mean, it's so important. Uh, the old saying, what you don't know won't hurt you, is just simply not true. It will hurt you. And we have the current state of the Black community to show for this. And mm-hmm. often, you know, um, we don't do better because we weren't taught how to do better. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us were not taught how to manage money. And, and that's simply because um, we didn't come for money. You know, mm-hmm. when I think back um, to the generations before us, you know, the church was very involved in um, raising our households. And even in the churches, we didn't talk about money. We didn't pray about money and anything in it like that. And, of course, that has now changed. But, um, very much you know, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. um, you know, they have this thing. Well, we know the scripture tells us that, you know, the, the money is the root of all evil. But we say the lack of money is the root of all evil, you know, mm-hmm. what people consider when they have a lack of money, you know. So um, when when we talk about, like you said, your girlfriend having uh, older people, I mean, some of our parents don't even know um, how to invest and how to save. And uh, they never taught us how to reinvest our dollars back into the black communities, that there are black, um, you know, um, black banks and there are black insurance companies and, and the the power or um, of investing or spending your, your dollars back into black businesses. But um, they don't know. And, and then now we have a generation um, that, that doesn't know. And, um, you know, it's just a lack of knowledge. So, our financial literacy workshops are just so important. If it's you know it's nothing more than educate, but to also inform and empower and impact our community. Hmm. That's, that's, I believe that's very true. You 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 you're dropping gems right now. I feel like it's like I just think about even with myself. You know, uh, it's also much that you know. I feel like if I wasn't a business major, I wouldn't even ever really cross. It would never really cross my. It would never cross my mind until I kind of, you know, got into work and things like that. And just thinking about the majority of people who, you know, go to school, you know, go and get um, something from a higher, higher, higher education and you know, uh, higher institution of learning, and uh, go in debt, you know, and they don't understand what that is and understand, you know, they just understand, you know, okay, so I just applied, I applied this, I do that, I can go to school, I can get this degree, but they don't think about, you know, the aftermath. And I know so many individuals who set themselves up for a situation. I I, I was the person who I kind of understood it for, you know, fairly early within my, you know, time in college. So when it came to, you know, applying for loans and certain things like that, I was always like, well, you know, I'm going to get what I need. I'm not going to get extra just so I can give me a, a real fat, you know, refund. And I know a lot of individuals who did that. 
And um, do you think that would you would you suggest that being something that's healthy or smart or was I just being, I guess, uh, too cautious? Well, I mean, you know, what you did, honestly, is probably what most, um, you know, African-American students are going to do. Well, I would hope so, is get what you need. Um, one of the most unfortunate things, you know, in our community at the age of 18, you know, we're told to uh, pack up what you're going to do, where you're going to go. But, you know, at 18, we move out. And in other cultures and other groups, you know, um, they don't necessarily move out. Uh, sometimes, you know, especially in the Asian community and even in Hispanic communities, you'll see several generations living under one household. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're able to save and cut costs and save on child care. And there's so many areas that we can save. But because at 18, you know, we moved out. And, um, you know, even if you're in school or in college, there's additional costs, not just school and books, but also living expenses, you know. Ooh. And so we have to look at all of those things on how we can cut costs. But it's coming from even our parents looking at us and saying, well, where are you going to go? You're 18 now. You need to go somewhere. You know, that a lot of times we hear that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate because we start off at 18 years old um, in debt, and we're passing that on. I mean, most of us will not um, live to pay off some of these student loans. You know, we'll we'll always be something hanging over our head, a cloud over our head, and we won't necessarily, you know, get an opportunity to pay those loans off. And so we're always kept, um, you know, behind in a sense, you know, because we have these debts uh, that we owe. But um, so, um, again, you have to do what makes sense. And um, unfortunately, students are not being informed. They're not talking to anyone before they go out and get a loan, you know, financial um advisors or even counselors, let's say the counselors at universities, they almost encourage, my daughter goes to Spelman, they encourage you to go get a loan, go get a loan. Well, maybe there's some other opportunities, some other things that you can do. Why don't you speak to a financial advisor, but, um, you know, to see if there's other opportunities. And then if you have to get that loan, do exactly what you do and you get only what you need. You know, because that mm-hmm. has to be repaid. It sits on your credit, and and if someday, someday you're going to pay for it. You know. Yes, and I feel like a lot of people. You know, I, I had I had several friends. I feel like I had a, a really you know really mixed bunch of friends, and uh, a little bit of everything was an example when it came to just you know how people handle their money, and um, had had one friend who you know actually looked into the options of, you know, repayment while we, while you were still in school. And that was like one of the first individuals I knew who even, you know, looked at deep into the, you know, terms and conditions <laughs> that people really don't read <laughs> and just, you know, promissory notes and things like that on, you know, yeah. exactly how you can, you know, your repayment options, you know, you don't have to wait until now because a lot of people who work while they're in school and have different yeah. situations and can, you know, because they may have assistance from their family still, helping them with like their phone bill, maybe helping them with their rent, helping them with a little gas, whatever, whatever. You might, you know, be working at a restaurant, might have an internship and you make, you know, you bring it home. Even if it's just, you know, $300 a week, you know, you can pay that interest off, you know, while you're in school and you start that your freshman year or your sophomore year or whenever, you know, you'll really knock off a lot of, you know, a lot of that money. And especially if you go home or you have a full-time, you know, summer internship, you know, Definitely, you know, pray for anyone to have those great opportunities. You can really pay a lot of this off because a lot of these internships are paying, 
like moolah. I'm talking about they paying a lot of money. Uh, I'm talking about I know people who've had, you know, gotten great internships with, you know, Fortune 500 companies and they're straight for the next school year just because of, you know, how much money they made at the internship in the summertime. So it's it's a great opportunity when you really look into, you know, uh, how to, you know, stay off top of your bills, actually creating a plan to, you know, consolidate certain in situations so you can stay on top of your bills, get that debt gone as soon as possible. And um, and just be just be about your business. Don't think that, you know, it's something that you can avoid because they will find you. They will find you and they will get their money. And um, I know that nobody wants, you know, especially, you know, if you had, you know, mothers and fathers who had bill collectors calling all the time, nobody wants that situation in their own household, especially uh, being so young, you know, people 22 getting them calls already. And uh, because it's time, it's time for the, they want Sally May want her money, you know? And um, it's sad, but I feel like we all have to know this. So uh, I do, um, before we move on to the next topic, I would say I would love for you to just impart just one very, very important uh, financial literacy uh, tip or tidbit or whatever that, um, it can kind of, you know, always help you out. You know, it can be on anything that you feel like is the most important thing when it comes to just financial literacy. And, um, and then we'll just move on to the next thing. Well, you know, one thing I would want to say is just start somewhere, you know, start saving at somewhere, somewhere you're comfortable, um, you know, and just, you know, take the time to learn about the, uh, what products I should say are out there. This is the age of information, the age of technology. So there's no excuse. The information is out there. So, you know, um, you know, and everyone can save at some level, even if you're putting $5 away, $50 away, whatever the case is. So to, you know, a lot of us, we will make up excuses. I mean, we have our whole life to, to, to make up excuses, you know, or to have an excuse, but I want to say, um, you know, sit down with the advisor, just like how you sit down with a, a, um, a, a doctor, you know, you can Google your, you know, some symptoms if you're not feeling, if you're feeling sick or something like that, and you still go and seek the advice of a professional, a doctor. Well, the same thing when it comes to your finances, you, you, you want to look to see what information is out there, but also seek um, information or, or meet with like a financial advisor who can help you start somewhere, wherever you are right now. So don't wait. You don't have to wait till you get to land that ideal job or that ideal position to say, okay, now I want to save. Even if you're in college or right at, fresh out of college, you start where you are. So at some point, it's going to build. It's going to um, it's going to grow, and, and you definitely want to start now rather than later. Mm, very true. I appreciate you saying that. Um but uh, keep it moving. One interesting thing that I always find, I'm, a, um, you know, I got my degree in marketing, so I always pay attention to, you know, uh, commercials and advertising. And it's interesting now, and especially in the, you know, most recent past, how there's been a very, very strong influx of uh, advertising that you can tell, you can feel that it's targeted towards African Americans, and. Um, a lot of people may not understand it. A lot of people may feel like, well, dang, I'm glad it's a black person in this one. And, and you know, it might kind of, you know, praise the, the ideal of actually seeing someone that looks like you uh, on the screen, uh, promoting these different, you know, organizations, promoting these different, you know, products and services. Uh, but um, there's a reason behind it. And um, for many, many different uh, reasons. But the main reason being 
And I feel like a lot of people may have came across is that we as African-Americans make up the majority of the consumer market and our buying power and our spend, buying or spending power, you can say, is a, a very, very large sum of money. And uh, it's really because we spent a lot of money into everything but ourselves that, you know, that this is really, really kind of targeted. And we've seen as, you know, the prime, the prime demographic to actually reach. And, uh, and I find it interesting that we're, you know, the prime demographic to actually reach, but we aren't kind of on the top of people's agenda with a lot of other things. That's a whole nother topic. And, um, but according to, um, to Nielsen and a few other, um, sources that I found, um, today, the spending power is worth about $1.1 trillion. And, um, and they've predicted this almost two years ago. And um, it's interesting that we have this really, really strong buying power. And, you know, when you say $1.1 trillion, it's kind of hard to kind of just, you know, wrap your head around it and fabricate, you know, how much that actually is. So I actually wanted to look up exactly how much that actually is. Because, you know, people love to, you know, kind of compare and be able to say, you know, well, you can do this with that and you can do this with that. So I actually went to um, financialjuneteeth.com. Um, uh, it's one of the uh, many uh, websites ran by um, uh, Boyce Watkins, who um, he uh, he actually uh, explains with this much spending power, you, the black community, can actually buy. And uh, I think a few of these may have been kind of inflated speculations, but close, close in, uh, I guess, approximations, I guess. And um, tell me what you think about these, Aisha. Uh, it says a thousand NFL teams, three thousand PWI institutions. You can purchase the annual budget for charter schools. You can pay a, a Howard's full tuition for fifty million students. Uh, you can build eight hundred and fifty-four thousand community centers, and um, you can purchase major networks such as NBC, ESPN, or CBS. And and also the final one being. You can create 12.2 million jobs with that much, you know, kind of like piled up money at your disposal. And, uh, and I've seen, you know, various other things. But what do you think about that? What what have you came across when it came to just the, the black buying power and how that actually influences just economics as a whole? Well, I I totally agree with those figures. I mean, we know African Americans right now um, have to have 1.1 trillion in buying power, and it's only looking to increase. I mean, they've already projected that it's going to increase to 1.3 um, trillion in just less than two years from now. Exactly. African Americans, yeah, African Americans are aggressive consumers. We tend to shop more frequently than other consumers. We're aggressive in media. We tend to spend more on electronics. Uh, we spend more on utilities, groceries, and, and even footwear. And, um, you know, yet only, you know, out of that, only two cents, two cents of every dollar is reinvested in, in um, black communities. Two cents. Two cents on every dollar. Mm. But this is not new. This is absolutely nothing new. I mean, 50 years, 60 years ago, um, you know, our great, our greatest leaders, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and, and even Marcus Garvey, spoke about the significance of uh, community economics. And they talked about black dollars and, um, you know, African-Americans putting 
their dollars into other communities. And those communities actually are flourishing while our community suffers. So that, that's, that, um, it's sad, obviously, um, but it's, you know, it's nothing new in terms of how much power we have um, that we actually give away. So every time we spend that dollar, we're actually giving our power away because it leaves the community with little coming back to our own community. Mm. This is this is, this is incredible. And it, it, I feel like, you know, our great, our great leaders had, you know, we're all on to something. I feel like all of them had uh, situations that they built on themselves to actually stay sustainable, to do what they had to do when it came to just travel, having different speaking engagements with Marcus Garvey, with the the Black Star Line. Um, a lot of people, you know, don't know a lot about Marcus Garvey because of how much he actually affected um, the world in so many different ways. And uh, I really, really encourage everyone, no matter, I guess, what your belief is and what your views on Pan-Africanism is, because I feel like so many different, you know, people have certain, you know, ideals of how certain things are and about certain people. But um, all these great individuals who made a definite mark within history definitely should be studied and their ideals should be studied because I feel like they were all on to something and a combination of everything they were saying I feel like can help it, all of us now. And Marcus Garvey, he definitely was on to something when it came to just actually owning, actually owning what we have. And W.B. Du Bois spoke about it too, a lot as well, just about, you know, actually owning what we have and keeping things amongst our group. Um, and I feel like a lot of people see it as, because when blacks are, you know, I guess uh, pro-black or, you know, just uh, want to be about their community. We're seeing it. We're just seeing it as militant. We're just seeing it as anti, you know, just anti, you know, anti-white, anti-American, all these different things. But in actuality, it's all for great, great things. I feel like so many different organizations, so many different efforts have been victimized for practicing uh, these group, these type of small group economics or community-based uh, efforts. And I feel like um, group economics is a very, very, very vital and major thing that we all should uh, do. Um, I think it was uh, Claude Anderson and a few other individuals who uh, basically said that allow the your dollars, the, the dollars to pass within the black community at least seven times before it gets out. Um, and that can sustain, you know, very, very well um, increase the value of black businesses and just uh, black communities as a whole. And um, I, I took it upon myself to uh, find a few things uh, within his book, The Power Economics, um, Poweronomics, I mean, uh, and he gave about 30, 30 different um, things to kind of boost up when it came to just boosting up the kind of like black community and practicing when it came to just practicing group economics. And um, I I picked out 10 of them. I'm definitely going to, you know, give these links to everyone. And I found it on uh, panafricanalliance.com. And um, just uh, I picked out 10 that I felt like, you know, were very, very vital. And uh, let me just go go down the list. And um, number one being produce a product, two being pr- produce a uh, a service, um, outsource tasks to a member of the community. So if someone is skilled, a skilled um, craftsman, or you know, 
they're a carpenter, they, you know, have their plumber's license, their electrician, their whatever they are, whatever they are skilled in, if they know something about, you know, building websites, you know, definitely patronize their businesses and their own entrepreneurial efforts. Uh, open online stores and physical stores. You have some storefronts because I feel like there's a lot of space and a lot of different, you know, abandoned buildings within these black communities that people aren't using at all. Um, use the black business directories. There's dozens of them. You know, when it comes to just buying black, um, there's definitely a movement that's increasing when it comes to just finding interest within black communities to get exactly what you need. And I feel like people always try to, you know, put these uh, businesses down saying that, you know, they don't have exactly what you want or whatever, whatever. They inflate the prices. I've heard so many different things, but I still see these places flourishing. I still see a lot of individuals and I see a lot of college students um, patronizing a lot of these businesses, especially within Atlanta. And uh, if college students can pay for something, trust me, I believe working class can too. Because I think we are like the, the, I'm speaking like I'm still in college, but college students are definitely kind of, I feel like on the lowest level of being broke. If, If anyone in college doesn't understand being, can't explain how it is to be broke, um, I think they can give you a whole book on it. And um, number seven being the uh, source black products, uh, produced products. So really just finding uh, black products to be used, you know, when it comes to certain things. There's, you know, from, there's even, there's a company called, I believe it's like Free Paper Company who actually sells um, like toilet paper. Because I think that it was like a, a few different uh, stats that went out there saying that black families use, spend like, I think like $250 million on toilet paper alone just for a household. And uh, number eight, being create community gardens. Yes. And um, this is definitely a really, really great one, a really, really important one, just um, in the sense of group economics as well as uh, just nutrition. I feel like within the black communities, and that's one thing I feel like you see within every part of the United States, when you go into these hoods, and you can tell me if you if you see the same thing, you you definitely can see it in Atlanta. Uh, when you when you're in the, like like the neighborhoods of where where Spelman and Clark Atlanta and Morehouse are, if you want something healthy, it's very very hard to just find something you know, especially late night, you know, or anything you know. If you've been in the library all day, it's twelve o'clock. You go you trying to go back to the dorm. And you want to eat something healthy because, you you know, you're trying to change your life around. You might be trying to get on your vegan tip. You can't get that because it's either, you know, miles and miles away. You don't have a car. You just want something right now and you can't get there. It's a very it's a food desert in a sense. And I feel like within all these communities there, everyone should have the the opportunity to have some very, very healthy um, nutritional options um, so we can actually, you know, sustain our own health. But you can always find a McDonald's, though. You can always find you a McDonald's in the hood. And um, you're never, you're never going to be without a McDonald's. And that's really, really interesting to me. Um, number nine, hiring black and number, I think it was, I think I had two more. Yeah, two more. Uh, use gentrification to our benefit. And I would love for you to tell me what you think about this. Um, cause I know it's a lot, it's a lot going on in Atlanta and it's a lot that, you know, going on all over when it comes to just gentrification, just, you know, a lot of people, you know, rent has, rents have been inflated to prices where they can't, you know, sustain and keep there and actually stay there. Um, 
people who never been to the community have came into the community, renovated it, made it look even, you know, different than what it was and all these different things. What do you think about gentrification? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's almost unavoidable in some sense. I mean, it's happening Mm -hmm. definitely here in Atlanta, you know, where you see more people now moving back into the city and moving into areas that were, um, highly um, poverty stricken um, over the past few decades. I mean, it's a way for the city in some sense to, you know, put or reinvest money back into certain areas. Um, You know, I mean, the black community, you see them actually now in Atlanta moving out outside of the city and um, it also affecting public transportation. I mean, that's also expanding outside of the city. So, um, you know, I do think it's almost, um, in, um, you know, it's, it's going to happen. I mean, it's happening. Um, you know, I would love to see us stand up and um, not feel forced to leave our community um, and uh, have just being more involved in, in, in the politics of what's happening in our own community. I mean, we, we lack a voice. You know what the, the issue I have seen in Atlanta is? we have something to say when it's too late, you know, exactly. We, we see the signs going up. We see the notices of uh, going up where they're going to have some kind of, you know, hearing or public um, notice and we don't do anything. And then when, then when they've already approved um, plans and and layouts and developments, then we have something to say. So I think it's just being, um, you know, proactive and, and, and not, and not just waiting and, and being reactive once things have been passed and being involved um, because we can also benefit from some of what we see happening in the community as well. And that's, and I'm glad you said it because number 10 actually says use gentrification to your benefit. Um, there's um, this ideal in a lot of individuals who, I believe, you know, because they're so, especially when, you know, when I spoke about Detroit, uh, there's all these different abandoned buildings. If individuals who have the income or groups of individuals who can put their money together to actually buy a lot of these buildings, buy a lot of these homes and create things with, out of those homes and out of their communities, they won't have to worry about, you know, feeling like, because they'll have that control. They'll have, you know, some actual ownership of their community. And I feel like it's a really, really big part of the of the just the black the black paradigm is that you know we all you know we want to we want to have a lot of things we want to you know this that and the third but we never think about the things that really really matter sometimes or we haven't been instilled a lot of things a lot of ideals that we really should have within our community or we may have lost those things when it comes to just ownership we need to own our houses we don't need to just rent our houses we don't need to just you know forever rent apartment because you know someone has power to kick you out of it and um or 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 force you out in uh in more than one way and i feel like this ideal of actually going in and seeing the community actually you know declining i feel like that's a where a big part of you know individuals who are part of middle class can you know join in and have opportunities within these efforts and go in and invest with a group of individuals within the community and um and actually create something out of these different uh, abandoned buildings and just homes that have been, you know, either, you know, uh, broken into, have been, you know, 
kind of uh, siege because of, you know, so many different inve- investigations and crime scenes and things like that. These homes can be renovated, can be given to a lot of individuals who need homes, who are looking for new homes and uh, premium locations. Uh, and I feel like it can all stay within the black community. A lot of these abandoned buildings can be, you know, changed into, you know, fitness centers for the, you know, for uh, black communities because you don't see those either. You know, uh, a lot of us are out of shape. So these can be turned into, you know, farmers markets and a lot of different things, farmers markets, restaurants, business um, tax, um, tax um, businesses and insurance agencies. All these different things I feel like are needed. We need all those different things to have a very, very great and prominent um, community. And I feel like people can't, you know, just think that, you know, we just got to let this happen. Well, we're going to have to just wait till we get kicked out. It's just going, it's, you know, it's bound to happen. And I feel like people just shrugging their shoulders, just being like, well, here come the white folks. We're going to have to just get out soon. And you can't have that type of mentality. I feel like if you've been here for, you know, and you're here, you and your family have been here for 40 years and you've actually established a great home and a great sense of community, I guess, or love where you are and don't want to leave, I feel like you have to bring people together and invest and actually keep your community with the people who actually care about it. Because I've seen so many different stories about individuals who, who have moved into these new communities and have changed the fiber of the communities. Like it's uh, situations like, like Bevers, like in the Bed-Stuy in New York, there's um like they have like cultural you know days where you know there's like a group of individuals who go and they they like uh play African drums and you know do different little African um practices and things like that and uh in the new individuals within the neighborhood have a problem with it they've been complaining about it and they've stopped something that's been going on for decades within the community and um and so on and so forth and I feel like those type of things you really that's really not right for you to change just because, you know, someone who's brand new to the community comes in and change. They need to, if anything, be welcomed in and also integrated within the community and understand this is what goes on. This is how certain things happen. These, you know, like it's, I've seen even things about churches and where, you know, they said the, the church uh, rehearsals are too loud and it's just like, it's, it's you know, it's disturbing the peace and these churches have been, you know, done these things. So it's kind of like for you to come into the community and try to change it to fit you instead of you going to the community and try to contribute and give something to it. I feel like it's not ideal that we should spread and have. So I feel like the solutions, what do you think are a few solutions that we can implement within our current situation in the black community? What what solutions do you suggest that we attack first or that we actually implement first? Well, um, as an entrepreneur, the first thing that I would um, say is entrepreneurship is the key. You know, we talked earlier about how um, African-Americans only um, make up 7% of small businesses within the United States. But entrepreneurship is, has, you know, um, has been the key and has existed, you know, for, um, you know, many, many years, you know, within our community. I, I think initially we need to see a growth in our community within entrepreneurship. I think um, with, you know, again, with, you know, the information that's out there, the technology that's available to us, you know, it, what used to be or what used to cost a whole lot to do now is pennies on the dollar. 
Mm-hmm. So I think, um, I think, you know, just, you know, looking more into, um, you know, again, it, it, it doesn't have to be, you listed several different things that you can do. I mean, again, uh, with social media, you know, your marketing is there, you know, um, there's so many new, um, new positions and new uh, careers <laughs> that, that are developed just through technology. So Very true. I, <laughs> yeah, and we we talk about um, empowering businesses uh, that can in turn empower the community. It's like a life cycle. You know, once we can reinvest into our community by supporting black businesses, by um, empowering the businesses, we can, as a result, um, empower the community. You know, I, I heard you mention earlier, um, you know, um, the goal is to get the black dollar to circle within a community at least seven times. Just to give you just some history that, um, you know, the NAACP reports that the, do- the, the dollar circulates in Asian communities um, at least uh, five times or th- or for at least one month. And within Jew- Jewish communities, it circles within their community for at least 20 days within white communities for 17 days. But it was in our black communities, the dollar only circles for six hours. Whoa. It, 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 our money is going out, and um, there's nothing coming back in. Part of that is, of course, um, the lack of certain black businesses being available that we can invest into. So um, if I want to say where we would start first, it would be entrepreneurship. Mm-mm-mm. You said a lot right just then. Golly, six hours? I would, yes, six and hours. I, that's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And I feel that it's a lot easier than what we think, you guys. Like, everyone who's listening, trust me. You do not you do not need a lot of money to make an impact to this. Even if it... And I feel like people are always thinking of, you know, money to, only be, the, to be the only answer to get their community out these situations. In a lot of cases, it's a lot of knowledge as well. I feel like knowledge can help a lot of individuals when it comes to just financial literacy, when it comes to actually applying the knowledge that you've gotten within not only, you know, an institution uh, within school, but also from these different um, technical professions as well. When it comes to, you know, there's, I know, I know a million people who are, you know, in working class, a lot of people in these cities have cars. If you know a lot about cars, you definitely need to, you know, find your find what you need to do to have your own shop. What you need now, now you're killing a few birds with one stone. You're now employing yourself, being your own boss. You're now about to be create jobs for individuals and actually give something within the community and uh, give a service within the community that helps everyone. Now, whoever has whatever going on. You're helping out the whole community because if you stay in this community, why would you drive 10 minutes and, you know, 10 to 20 minutes away from your home if you can get your oil changed right down the street? And, uh, and that's with anything. That's just one example because I feel like we sell ourselves short when it comes to, you know, our money or our situations. You know, when it comes to, and just to be all the way real with it, a lot of our, you know, brothers and sisters who are on welfare or who have some type of government assistance, I feel that you have to be strategic with it. A lot of my family members, uh, I've always kind of told them, don't think of, when you when you have to, you know, when it gets that deep and that, you know, serious where you have to go and get some type of government assistance, uh, have a plan with it. You see, don't, 
Cause I just, I, it's so it's so common within the black community to have this and have it forever. Like it's sad to say, but it's seen. I've seen it so many different times, and and you know I have seen different you know families who've been on government assistance majority of their children's lives, and um, and it's sad because it's kind of like that's not what it's for. And the fact that, you know, the government actually allows you to just stay on these different situations and it never encourages you to move out of your certain situation to actually get more and actually create greater goals to put yourself in a better situation. Now you stay in a Section 8 division of the world and uh, in a very, you know, poverty-stricken neighborhood and you have to, you know, someone has control over, you know, how much money you're getting every month what type of foods you can eat. Cause there are stipulations. A lot of people may not know there are a lot of stipulations on you that are being, you know, put on these EBT uh, welfare uh, when it comes to welfare and food stamps. Um, they're monitoring a lot, a lot more now. A lot of people, you know, were just going crazy with it. You know, you know, people have, you know, gotten, you know, definitely um, arrested for, you know, selling these food stamps. And when it comes to, you know, just you have to have a plan. This is basically all I'm saying. When it comes to that, you know, I want you to set a plan that I'm going to get out of this situation by a certain time. I'm going to find a job by a certain time. I want to, you know, have this by a certain time. I'm only doing this because I had no other option. And this is what I'm doing to get back on my feet. And um, and that's really all it should be used for. If anything, see it as a safety net and not as an, a viable option. Well, you know, if this don't work, I'm just going to get on welfare. Let's not do that. And um, actually create, create, create things for our community. And I feel like we said all we need to say. Is, is there anything else you wanted to say, Aisha? Because you said you you blessed me this evening. Because this, <laughs> this, this 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 you just dropped all types of gems. So I love that I got your time. And uh, but is there anything else that you want to say? No, I just wanted to um, you know just encourage our, my people to let's rebuild and reclaim our economic independence. Um, take the information that's shared here on Simply King and actually do something with it, you know. So, again, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate just being here. And, um, you know, um, thank you for your time as well. Oh, yes. And how and how for all the people who are in Atlanta or just anybody who would love to just uh, reach out to you just to ask you any questions when it comes to just the world of finance and insurance, um, how can they reach you? Do you have any social media? Um, where's your office located? How can, um, yeah. tell them to give them, just give them your info. Okay. Yeah. We actually are based right out of, um, Atlanta in the Buckhead area. So, um, you can find me on social media. Actually, if you look up Atlantis insurance lady, I'll come up, which is Aisha, A-I-S-H-A-D-N-Z-D-A-N-Z-Y. Mm. I'm on Instagram as Lady Danzy, and, um, we are located right off of Lenox Road. Um, right in the Buckhead area of downtown Atlanta. So definitely reach out to me. I love to educate and assist any way that I can. Support black business, y'all. It's, it's, it's a simple start. And especially when it comes to the world of insurance, because I feel like people got it backwards. They, you know, want to get what they want to get out of life. And then once something, you know, tragic happens, and it was like, dang, I wish I'm going to go get some insurance. Let's go ahead and protect ourselves now and create these different foundations we need now. All right? Thank you all for listening to the to the Simply King podcast. We're definitely going to be back next week with a really, really great topic. Um, I'm going to call it Social Media 
programming network. You'll see some different things going on about it, and I won't in, you know, indulge too much about what it's going to be about, but it's going to be a great one. Um, so everyone, enjoy your Thanksgiving next week. Don't eat too much. Go to the gym still, and, um, and be healthy. Be smart, and I love y'all, and keep on listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.